Hi, everyone. Welcome back to For the Girls. We surpassed 500 ratings on Spotify. We're so grateful to all of you who've rated us or left us a review on Apple. Thank you so much. If you're ever feeling inspired to do so, we really appreciate it. And also, we've been so excited by everyone signing up for Patreon. We had so much fun at the watch party with everyone. We're going to have a special extended cut episode coming soon. So definitely check that out for our patrons. We will get right into it. We're so excited for the race down under. I'm Sarah. I'm Chessa. And I'm Tiggy. All right. A big, big weekend in Australia. This will also be the first time the F2 and F3 championships are racing in Australia. So this is part of the Australian GP's recent 10-year contract extension until 2035. So it is not going away anytime soon. And this Grand Prix and track, it's just such good vibes all around. Everybody seems to absolutely love it. It always attracts a huge crowd. Lots of promo that goes into it. We will, of course, talk about Red Bull's big (laughs) thing. Um, And the Australian fans are known for being super loyal, amazing, and they're all just such champs about watching races with a huge time difference. So it is their time and way past their due to have a race at a normal time for them. And we will we will suffer over here on the East Coast, which I am okay with. Um, It's also nice this year that the grid and the teams have a little bit of a buffer between the last race and Saudi. And then on the other side, there are multiple weeks until Baku since the Chinese Grand Prix was canceled. So all eyes are on Australia. The focus is here. It's awesome. We cannot wait. So let's talk about the circuit a little bit before we keep going. So it's the Melbourne Grand Prix. It's held at the Albert Park circuit. It's really cool and unique. It's a temporary semi-permanent track. They erect it every year in a public park just outside of Melbourne Center. It has this beautiful lake that runs by it. Um, And like I said, it's pretty unique because it's semi-permanent. So it blends some aspects of a true road circuit with a street circuit. Most of the track is just built on public roads. There's a little bit of a section in a parking lot. Um, And they set this up for two months before the GP. And then like six weeks after the GP, it takes them a lot of time to take it down. So very unique in that sense. It's on the shorter side. It's 5.3 kilometers and 58 laps in total. And this year they will be debuting a fourth new DRS zone. It was scrapped last year due to safety concerns, but they brought it back this year. So there'll be a little bit more chances for overtaking as well. In terms of some history, this track has a ton of history. It debuted its first Australian GP back in 1996. Before 1996, races were held at the Adelaide Street Circuit. Adelaide is the capital city of South Australia. So Australia has a really long F1 history. Its racing history outside of F1 on this track actually goes back to the early 1950s. It was a big circuit on the Australian racing scene, but it stopped hosting races in 1958 due to local opposition and political pressure. But fast forward to the 90s, the government was trying to boost Melbourne's international profile and increase tourism. So to that end, they managed to snag the Grand Prix from the rival city, Mm -hmm. Adelaide, and it's been at this circuit ever since. And one thing that's kind of crazy about this track is from 1996 to 2019, it's pretty much unchanged. There's been a couple minor changes in the past few years. Drivers complained about being super bumpy with not many overtaking opportunities for the race last year, coming off two COVID cancellation years. They added some opportunities to pass, laid a new road surface, created a bigger pit lane because this track, even though it has such a kind of storied F1 history, it is not known for being necessarily the biggest 
thriller of a track. <laughs> I think this was the race last year where Toto was like, oh, thank God they laid a new road surface. Like it's going to help with our porpoising. Right. <laughs> Yikes. Famous last word. He was like so excited. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely considered to be on the higher end with regard to downforce. So this will affect tire deck, also the braking system. There are nine hard braking zones here. And apparently the drivers spend almost 20% of a lap with their foot on the brake pedal, which is crazy. Um, and actually at turn one, drivers go from 325 kilometers per hour to 140 in two seconds. So oh my there's that a lot of changes. That's crazy that I always find it hard to imagine because you can think about kind of the top speed, but then it's how fast they slow down in the braking zones is insane. Like when you're seeing the race in person and they're going so fast and just, it's like, swoop, swoop. it's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One last thing to consider that's kind of interesting is that since most of the year, the portions of this track are open to the public, the road isn't as rubbered as a usual circuit. So this means that Friday it starts to get re like rubbered in and then the conditions really improve for the race on Sunday. So the conditions we see uh, at FP1, not always the same as we see during the race in terms of the actual surface. So going to be interesting. All right, let's talk about last year's race. From sort of like a history perspective, this was a really big race. It was the most attended Australian GP in history because of that two-year COVID break. There was over 400,000 fans in attendance for the weekend, including almost 130k on actual race day. Um, the race last year was definitely, it was really exciting and it shows how differently things were going at the beginning of the season to how things ended up. The race had two safety cards, Science spun out on lap two, he DNF'd, and then on lap 23, Vettel crashed, and he also DNF'd. So Charles ended up winning this race at the time, pushing Ferrari's um, championship lead even further, and then Max had his second DNF in three races, which is just so wild to think about how Red Bull started the season or how he started it versus ending it. Um, and then Checo ended up finishing second. Then we had George rounding out the podium in P3, Lewis was fourth. And then this is like hailing back to, I guess, the pre, we can call last year, McLaren's glory days. They were the best of the rest. They snagged P5 and P6 with a little bit of an upset at Danny's home race because Lando was ahead of him. So calling last year different. their glory days. Is I know, but like iconic, Jessa. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It, it, relatively speaking, it's pretty bad for them now. So we'll give it to them. <laughs> And we also cannot forget Sebastian Vettel getting fined for riding back on a scooter to the pit lane. Just <laughs> he was just past the point of caring. Things were going so poorly for Aston Martin. So again, <laughs> things so have funny. really changed. I think that was actually our first radio of the week, or maybe it was the second. But uh, yeah, it was Seb on the scooter. Oh my <laughs> gosh, you're hilarious. right. That was our second ever radio of the Aww. week. I think we were babies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping into the teams, Red Bull. So first, of course, we have to talk about the amazing 10-minute long Red Bull promotion video, <laughs> which I hope everyone has watched. Like, seriously, the reels don't do it justice. You have to just watch the whole thing. He took the RB7 on a road trip through Australia with some other really cool Australian motorsport names, starting, of course, in his hometown, Perth. The RB7 was the Red Bull car from 2011, which won both the Driver and Constructors Championships in the Vettel-Weber era, so another famous Australian back then as well. And the video was just awesome. Hannah Schmitz, who we're obsessed with, who is the Red Bull head of 
race strategy. She was featured in the video. Danny pretended to pull a tarp off the RB7 in his <laughs> garage. They had shots of motorcycles jumping over the car at one point and then a helicopter flying about 10 feet ahead of the car then him racing a plane down an oceanside highway in australia it was just it was like absolutely nuts yeah that was so cool and i just like the broader red bull athlete family is incredible they just they sponsor so many amazing athletes across a ton of sports which is not the same as really any other team on the f1 circuit so it was really cool that they involved other Australian athletes and yeah, definitely felt like something only they could do. Have you guys seen somewhat related Daniel Ricardo's like LinkedIn influencer posts? That he is no, out there? no, not him too. What? Oh my God. It is so funny. I like, I read this somewhere. I saw this and I was like, Daniel Ricardo's on LinkedIn. So yeah, there he is where I think he's a second connection to me. So somehow we have like mutual connections. <laughs> oh my God, Tiggy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like writing posts about his optimism and resetting his goals for 2023. And yeah, you guys no. check it out. Maybe I I'll try and- does this PR because they're so probably good. really... Pulling all-nighters there on the LinkedIn side. <laughs> also, yeah. the Australian GP, as we know, he's from Australia, as we just talked about, but it's the first race of the year that he's going to be trackside with them. So that is very exciting. Just imagine he's getting paid, I think it's $18 million by McLaren, <laughs> which is currently an absolute dumpster fire so that he can have fun joyriding a Red Bull through dirt roads in Australia. I just hope he's really happy right now with how things Dude. are turning out. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> if I were him, I'd never go back. Literally. So talking about Red Bull sans Danny, uh, the big thing we'll be watching this weekend for them is the battle between Max and Checo. Is reliability going to hold up for both of them? Are they going to be close in performance? Is Checo going to keep standing up for himself? I hope he does. Is he even a valid championship contender? There's a lot of things to see play out. Um, and Christian commented a little bit on the, quote, spectacle of having two drivers fighting each other at the top of the grid and basically said he's going to enjoy it while it lasts because he expects the grid to converge a lot throughout the season. Um, he's knowing that the European leg will be a time to watch when upgrades start to come through for other teams. So things might not always be as peachy as they are for them now. We'll see. And we'll see. What Christian. do you all think? Do you think Checo could? So they're only one point apart right now. Do you all think? Checo actually actually is a shot. We talked about this last nah, year, a bit, but I can't believe I think, I'm saying this. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, you can never say never with reliability and just like not knowing how a season plays out. But yeah, I think in terms of like performance, if everything's going fine for Max and his car, I don't feel like that's super likely. Although I, it's it's wishful thinking. I'm definitely here for it <laughs> if Checo continues to hold on. But Max, I think, is just even when talking about Checo, just like in a world of his own. So I, I think it's so hard and it's such Super a, Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, I think it, rem- it just reminds me so much of the Lewis Botas situation. And you could even argue, I don't know what I'm tired for this debate here, but if you did like Checo v. Botas in a, in a head on head matchup, but it's just so hard when you're next to a generational talent where I think Checo could be on another team right now and he's come so far in his career and could easily be like a really strong number one driver. And it's just he's against literally a generational talent in the same way Botas was where you can be an amazing driver and you're just still 
don't have that extra bit that the other driver that you're being compared to has. And yeah. I think that sadly is just always going to be the case with Max and Checo, but we'll see. I do think it would be fun if they're a bit closer, just add, add a little bit of excitement here. And it's funny on, along those lines too, Max made a bunch of comments um, upon getting to Australia about just how sick he had been in Saudi because people were kind of saying, oh, there was a five-second gap to Checo. He had 20 laps. He wasn't able to make it up. I don't know if he was kind of justifying it or just generally was talking about how sick he was, but he said he was really sick. So we'll see what is happening there this weekend. And in the last bit of Red Bull news, Adrian Newey, who is their long-time, incredibly famous car designer who a lot of their modern success can be attributed to, his contract is up soon. So he has a lot he can pay for here. And the top, I think it's the top three employees of each team, they can pick a few employees who aren't covered by the cost cap. So sky's the limit for Adrian. (laughs) He's just going to go to Aston Martin and make a trillion dollars. (laughs) They already stole his ideas anyway, so it's fine. (laughs) Um, That's, yeah, they, I feel like Red Bull would do anything to keep him happy and around. (laughs) For Ferrari, they are definitely hoping to bounce back from the nightmare of a weekend they had in Saudi. (laughs) Yeah, and we got a multi-Instagram slideshow from Carlos on how he overcomes jet lag, which it makes sense why they get to Australia so early because it's just absolutely brutal. They have to stay up all night because the time zone is just so extreme. So they have to stay up all night on an overnight flight, which is pretty hard to do, even with good movies. Yeah, uh, Ferrari had some article about like the longest trip talking about Australia and like jet lag and stuff, <laughs> which is funny. Um, so Fred Vassar, the the team principal, he's been kind of playing down their struggles a bit. Essentially, he was saying that everybody should, quote, remain calm and that not everything <laughs> is going wrong, which is an interesting bar. Like, low bar. <laughs> it's fine, guys. Not everything is going wrong. <laughs> Just some things. Um, but Charles, on the other hand, said that Ferrari had to improve a lot um, in his words. Vassar just basically mentioned they're trying to get the most out of the current car and package they can before they bring any major changes. They're talking about some small upgrades here and there, but in terms of anything major, that's going to wait. For me, I hope reliability is a huge focus, and that's an easy thing to say, but it's plagued them so much already this season. The fact that Charles is on his third <laughs> power unit is insane, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's not looking great, but we'll see. The season is still very early, as we talked about. Charles had a massive win here last year, so hopefully they can keep the good vibes going again this time around. Talking about Mercedes, so Lewis and George were in Malaysia visiting Petronas. Lewis spoke at the University Technology there, which was very cool. This is Lewis's 10th anniversary with Mercedes. He first debuted with them in Australia in 2013. Like guys, it was so long ago, and he's kind That's of been reflecting. Year on- I graduated high school, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's been reflecting on that, just kind of talking about how grateful he is to the team and how he definitely, like, it definitely felt like a risk at the time for him to make the move, but it's definitely helped him grow and accomplish so much. Yeah, it's so crazy to think about. Like when he switched to Mercedes, they were not doing super well, and I think he finished fifth with, for them in his first race, and so. Yeah, I mean, we've seen how much they've gone up since then. But yeah, I think it's just really nice to see him reflecting on it. Nice to be able to celebrate that and be grateful for that in the past decade, especially at a time when they're not where they want to be right now. And 
Meanwhile, Angela out here living her best life paragliding. I don't know if you guys have seen that content, but <laughs> let's go, She's Angela. Done. <laughs> <laughs> on some things that Toto said as well, he said that they're focus- focused on maximizing the potential of their current car right now, similar to the Ferrari vibes, um, ahead of whatever their concept change is going to be and when it becomes a reality. He seems generally pleased with the points he scored last race, especially in comparison to Ferrari. But of course, they want to close the gap as much as possible. And we mentioned this a little bit in the rumor mail, but the Lewis contract speculation is continuing. Toto did say something along the lines that, you know, he wouldn't blame Hamilton for looking elsewhere if they're not able to give him a good car. Um, That's Horner, a wild comment. I can't believe he said that. I mean, I think that they go so back and I think like Toto views Lewis as much more than just his driver and so wants the best for him. But like why I say also, that to the media? I don't yeah, it's, I, it Oh, he wants weird. to stir the pot. That's his MO. But with his own team, I don't know. I think it goes to show, yeah, I think all these Toto public statements are him backwards saying that to someone in the team. Like, look, you're going to make Lewis leave if you don't get your act together. Who knows? Um, Horner was asked about Lewis in relation to Red Bull and basically said he doesn't see where Lewis would fit. It's very complimentary of him and his success, but they're very happy with their driver pairing. So I don't know. We'll have to see how things play out. I mean, there was the Ferrari rumors, but that does not seem like a viable option at this point. I have kind of a hot take where I kind of think Mercedes has been so trapped by their old car concept that if they finally are just ditching it and going the Red Bull Aston Martin route and Toto's made a couple comments about how they're happy with what's in the works they can figure out a way with cost cap to just build a new car and have a new car in the middle of the season who knows maybe they'll have a comeback sooner than we think that would be amazing yeah i feel like you just can never count them out you know how i feel about that (laughs) (laughs) for alpine meanwhile their big campaign was trying to help gasly with his penalty points license issue So he has had 10 penalty points on his license for a while. So if he only gets two more, he has a full race ban. And the FIA starting this season is being much more measured about dishing out penalty points. They're saving it for actually more extreme incidents instead of things like impeding during quality or track limits. But Alpine, of course, thinks it's unfair that Gasly still now has all these points from minor infractions on his license. And so Otmar said three to four teams supported having minor offenses wiped from driver's licenses, but most teams didn't support it, which is classic. So we'll see how things go for them this this uh, weekend. But I'm really rooting for them now with Otmar being my one of my new favorite team principals. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm hoping they're looking good this weekend. Um, For McLaren, on the other hand, there's a lot going on here. So they announced a big org change. So instead of having one technical director, they're going to have a new team of three people heading up that department. Um, And their old technical director has departed. There are some big new hires, including hiring David Sanchez from Ferrari to be on this kind of three-person board. He'll be joining in 2024. And then the three people will oversee separate departments, the aero department, the car concept and performance, and then engineering and design, which is super interesting. I'm curious what you guys think of this shakeup. Um, And apparently, one thing I'll just say, apparently it's been in the works for quite some time, for months. So it's not just to do, I think, with like the past couple races, um, but they have been thinking about this for, for a while now. I'm all about delegation of duties and, you know, doing what what's 
what you're good at. So if each of these guys running each of these departments, that's their bread and butter. I'm down. I'm excited to see how it plays out. I I think it's good they're making a change. They obviously need to make some type of change, but it's interesting to me splitting kind of car design and concept into three departments with three heads because that feels a little bit like then you're going to have people going in different directions and it not be cohesive. I don't know. We'll have to we'll see. see. But it it's feels- good they're doing something. Yeah, it feels pretty disjointed. We're not, we're obviously not engineers, so I don't know what it's like behind the scenes. But yeah, to take apart the one role and put it into three roles, like if you felt like you didn't have the right person for that one role, I don't know if the answer is like making that person three people. Um, one question that someone put in our Discord sort of related to this, and I'm curious on your guys' thoughts, is just like the lack of job security at high echelons in Formula One. We've seen that with team principal shakeups. We've seen it here. We don't always see like the big headlines because sometimes it's high up people who aren't super high profile like publicly. But what do you guys think about the job security at this level? It it seems kind of like if you're not performing, you're out. But I also know there are a lot of like old legacy people in their roles and sometimes they're stuck in their old ways. I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah, it's interesting because some of these people, like when McLaren was announcing these new, these three people that are going to head up these departments, some of those people have been at McLaren for 20 years. So yeah, is this interesting difference where there's these people who have been at Ferrari for the majority of the time that we've been alive, and then someone can just be fired and be totally out the next season and not even necessarily be going to a different team. I think it's probably similar to a lot of industries at a certain level yeah. It's just you're responsible for the organization. If it's not performing, you're going to be out. But it's it's interesting to think that some people can just be totally cut and not have a role in another team. And it's like leaving an entire industry instead of just switching jobs. Yeah. If the buck stops with you, it's cutthroat and you have to perform. And I think teams are getting more and more comfortable with the optics of saying goodbye and bringing new people on. Yeah, we also don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes. It's easy to be like, oh, McLaren, this correlates well with McLaren not having a good couple races and that's why he's out. But like there could be a whole host of reasons under the hood of why someone is not working in an organization or or whatever. So we can only speculate from the outside. Yes. To wrap up McLaren, this is going to be Piastri's home race. He did an interview with Beyond the Grid, their podcast. So it's worth checking out if you haven't already He kind of talks about adapting to F1, his early life, a bunch of other things. This is truly his home race. He was born and raised in Melbourne until he was 15 and went off to Europe to kart. So this will be very exciting for him. Some other teams, Alfa Romeo. This is going to be a great race for Botas. This is the scene of his infamous quote, to who it may concern radio when he won in 2019. We loved that. Iconic he, radio. Yeah. <laughs> he calls this kind of like his quasi-home race, his incredible partner, Tiffany, the professional cyclist superstar. She's Australian. Um, and his special helmet was designed by the Aboriginal artist, Ricky Kildea. And the helmets will be auctioned off with the money donated to a children's charity. So as always, Botas making a big impact on everything he does. The next few teams here. So AlphaTauri, they are bringing an aero upgrade apparently and not much else to say here. DeVries has never raced here, which I think a lot of the rookies have not because as we said, F2 and F3 don't typically race at this circuit. So the teams have been putting in a lot of time on the simulators and and whatnot. So it'll be exciting to see that. 
for Haas, Hulkenberg, and KMAG. They have a lot of years of experience here, and they are coming off their first point of the season in Jeddah from KMAG. They have some momentum, even if it's a little bit small. But- <laughs> more, points, more points than McLaren. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, have you guys seen that, the meme going around that's like, I'm so proud of Danny. He has the same points as all the McLaren drivers without even having a car. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. Um, And then one fun fact for Haas here, their first ever race as a team here was in Australia in 2016. So all good vibes. Let's, Let's hope for the best for them. For Aston Martin, all eyes continue to be on them and Alonso to see if they can keep up this just incredible momentum. They had a really rough weekend here last year. It was actually just so tragic. Stroll and Vettel both crashed in practice and Vettel got fined for taking just just totally giving up and taking the moped back. Stroll crashed in quali. Vettel crashed out during the race. Mike Crack, the team principal, basically said it was their rock bottom and kind of forced them to band together to be the team they are today. Alonso is super optimistic. He said in his last post-race interview that he told the whole team he'd buy them beers if he's first place into the first corner of the race, that's manifesting. I think honestly, Alonzo should be buying people like vacation <laughs> or something to- on that team. Yeah, <laughs> I think they need more than beers, but I just love how happy he is. And I think he's, it's, I love a good comeback story. And the fact that he's in his forties, he always had horrible timing with going to teams just when they got bad or having all these falling out with teams. And finally, like it's in such a groove, having an amazing time, just Loving this for him. I kind of hope he wins. Maybe that's my I, I think that would be is. incredible there. I think there is a stat as well that a lot of drivers, 101st podiums were race wins. So Ooh. this would be his 101st. So let's see if it's a win. One, one of my favorite quotes of the last couple of weeks is from Mike Crack, the team principal. He was talking about how the morale right now is incredible. And he was saying that he basically has to beg people to go home from work to their families. Like, can you imagine <laughs> having that kind of okay, a job? What? <laughs> the morale is is peak. <laughs> okay, you know what? Way to go. I love that. Um, they're second in constructors right now. They really want to narrow that lead that Red Bull has on them, capitalize on that energy. No one's going to go home from work for weeks. They're going to pull 10,000 on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the one thing that we mentioned last episode um, was that was about Vettel and what he's thinking right now. Mike Crack actually said that they were super tempted to ask Vettel to stand in for Stroll after his injury, but they opted out of doing so, quote, for his respect, for their respect of his retirement decision, which is very interesting. Um, and he also said that Vettel reached out to congratulate him and the team on the podium after Bahrain, and that he thinks that that Mike Crack thinks Vettel has a big hand in getting them to where they are this year, even if he's not there to reap the rewards. So, you know, morale is high as well. Everyone is like all ooey gooey and thanking Vettel, <laughs> and it's it's a happy it's a happy family. I'm so glad that they said that though, because it's yeah. true. Like, obviously, Alonso has come in hot and is the one standing on the podium, but like as we know. It takes a village and it takes a lot of time to get to the point to where they are. And I do feel like, obviously, we're not inside the team, but I feel like Vettel probably had a big hand in getting them to this point, you know, and like setting up the necessary processes and just like battering down the hatches and getting them ready to like actually be a top team, which is cool. For the last team here, Williams. So since F2 and F3 
don't usually race in Australia. As we said, this will also be a brand new track for Logan Sargent. Um, there are some recent murmurings that Williams may have to consider a different power unit provider other than Mercedes for their 2026 engine, since new regulations for 2026 state that a manufacturer can only supply three teams per season. So that includes its own factory team. And as a reminder, Mercedes currently provides, of course, for themselves, but also Williams, McLaren, and Aston Martin. So who's going to be the one to drop? (laughs) Who knows? Okay, hot takes for this weekend. I'm saying we're going to see Haas on the points again, and we're going to see Stroll and Alonso both top five. Wow. I know. That's big. Um, I'm going to say Piastri in the points for his home race, I think. I'm hoping like higher up in the points. Um, Love that. But yeah, I'm hoping for a really good race from him. Keep the Piastri-Lando battle spicy (laughs) as much as possible. Um, And I'm also going to throw in George on podium. Give him back the podium that he had and then lost the last (laughs) race. (laughs) I want to keep mine more general. I think this track can sometimes not be the most thrilling racing. So I just really want excitement. I want some shakeups at the top. I feel like I can't get too crazy, but maybe stroll for podium. (laughs) Wow. We're keeping it general, but we're just throwing in stroll. (laughs) Sarah, what? Because I think I've already had Alonzo winning as a hot take. I don't know. I'm just on the ask. I think I'm on the Ask Martin hype train right now. Clearly. Clearly. That's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Let's hit some news this week before we talk about our special topic, um, which if we didn't mention it already, is going to be talking about the driver rules and etiquette. There's so much that goes on here. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, so news. Stefan- Stefano Domenicali, he made some comments about getting rid of practice to make weekends more exciting. Some drivers agree that maybe they don't need three full practices, but of course they're going to need some. So that's interesting. Yeah. One thing to add about that is some drivers were saying that they should give that extra practice time to F2 and F3 because they don't get as much time on the track. And like, he was like, the F1 drivers don't need a lot of practice. Like we could keep FP1 and be good and give the rest to other teams, which is, which is interesting. I like that. Another big news item this week was that Nelson Piquet was fined for his racist comments against Lewis Hamilton. So a court in Brazil is ordering Piquet, uh, that's Max's girlfriend's Kelly, that's her dad. He was a former three-time F1 world champion. So the court in Brazil is ordering him to pay a fine of almost a million dollars in, quote, moral damages for racist and homophobic comments aimed at Lewis during a TV interview in November 2021. The fine or the money from the fine is going to be used to promote racial equity and fight discrimination against the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, interestingly, PK mentions that he that he did not mean to be offensive or hurt Lewis in any way, which makes literally zero sense. Why are you saying comments if you don't mean to be offensive? Um, and I don't know if this news sparked this, but I've been seeing a lot of think pieces on like why Danny or why Red Bull needs Danny so bad. And I think between all the stuff with Nelson, PK, Helmut Marco, like the last season rumors of the the driver feud, I think he's single-handedly keeping the good vibes afloat. And I think Red Bull's maybe using this to help with their media image, of course, given a lot of things going on in the background. Yeah, it's... I'm I'm glad that the court in Brazil, no less, is, is doing this. That's um, true. Yeah. And I love that the the proceeds or the fine is going to promote the cause that is 
uh, yeah, super important. And the whole point of why you should not be saying things like this. But in other news, um, the Porsche entry into F1 is on hold in favor of focusing on sports cars and Formula E. So just as a quick reminder, they were originally in talks with Red Bull about a deal until that fell through when it was speculated that Red Bull kind of got spooked that it would lose its independence. I mean, God knows that they don't need a lot of like change or outside partners right now. They're doing just fine on their own. (laughs) Um, And Porsche at the time said that they were still going to evaluate their options for 2026 and beyond when the new sustainable fuel rules are put in place. But it's mostly gone quiet. And I think it's believed that after their VP of motorsport retired a couple of months ago in December, that they've kind of decided to put it on ice for now and that it's going to be a very long time before they revisit. Like people are saying it could be almost a decade There were originally some rumors about them and Williams and then also Andretti, but it looks like those will not be happening anytime soon. Jumping into our special topic, driver rules. So as we all know at this point, so much of being an F1 driver is not just about the car or getting in the car and finishing first. There's so much else to consider like math, physics, tire and pit strategy. And on top of this, there's tons of rules and then also just kind of more best practices that drivers need to follow. And after all of the drama and um, controversy at the end, controversy at the end of the 2021 season, the FIA actually published clarified driving standards. It's crazy to think that kind of for most of the sports history, a lot of these rules weren't clarified. And we'll get into this about how much, written rules actually help when it still can be quite subjective. But (laughs) these new guidelines generally explain what drivers can and can't do when wheel-to-wheel racing and helps drivers get a better sense of what the stewards are taking into account. This has been a much requested topic. Special shout out to Amanda Mellon in our Discord for the idea. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Okay, so I think the biggest rule that we should start with, it's kind of like the most basic, it's that drivers can't impede, aka like they can't drive extra slow or erratically in a manner which would A, like be deemed dangerous, of course, to other drivers and just like slow other drivers down and not allow them to drive their race. So that's kind of like the golden rule. And along the lines of basic proper conduct, drivers can't push each other off the track, of course. And also, for whatever reason, a driver themselves goes off the track, they can only rejoin, quote, when it is safe to do so and without gaining any lasting advantage. So we see this a lot um, when we're talking about lasting advantage that would kind of entail slowing down to offset any time gained or giving back any positions or places that might have been gained from from going off the track. One thing too, that's interesting about off track is we often think of someone kind of cutting a corner and passing someone and then needing to give that place back because that was an advantage gained off track. This can also apply if you're the car in front and going off track somehow allows you to keep your lead when you would have been overtaken. So then you can also have to give the spot if someone would have had a valid overtake of you and you kind of dodged off track. So that's definitely a big one that I think is kind of one of the most common. And that's when you hear on the radio, someone say swap places, give the place back, that sort of thing. It's because of this. 
Yeah. So diving in relatedly to a driver when he is defending. So simply put, there is a quote, one move defending rule. So verbatim from the FIA's international sporting code, it says, quote, more than one change of direction to defend a position is not permitted. So it's basically the no impeding rule. A driver can block on the inside once to stop a pass, but you can't weave back and forth to stop the overtake from happening again. So when we hear like, oh, he's weaving on the straight or something like that, that is not allowed. Things get a little bit more complicated when we're talking about attacking or overtaking because there are a lot of different scenarios. But let's start with the inside of a corner. So overtaking on the inside, which means passing, say you're going into a right-hand corner, you're passing on the right on the inside and vice versa if you're going left. The overtaking car needs to have a, quote, significant portion of their car alongside the overtakee. Um, So that means that at the point that the car being overtaken is required to give, quote, sufficient room to the overtaking car. So it's a little confusing about what a significant portion means, but the guidelines generally say that it's when the overtaking car's front tires are alongside the other car by no later than the apex of the corner. Um, so as you can see, there's like, yes, they're written down, but there's like a lot of wiggle room for kind of thinking about what a significant portion means and all that stuff. And what's sufficient room? Yeah, it's so yeah. big. It's like good that it is written, <laughs> but obviously everyone's going to have a different idea of what leaving enough room is when someone's overtaking. Like you're going 325 kilometers per hour. Like I don't think you were able to do like the whole physics equation of the apex of the corner, like all of that. So that's why a lot of it ends up going to the stewards. To finish on the kind of like attacking stuff, if you're going overtaking on the outside of a corner, so this is less common, but basically when the driver goes the long way round when overtaking the person in front of them, it's the similar rule. Like if the attacker has a significant portion of their car alongside, the overtaking needs to leave room. But in this case, significant portion here, uh, the stewards consider that if the overtaking car is ahead of the other car from the apex of the corner. So when you hear drivers saying like he didn't leave enough room, things like that. They're usually referring to what we just talked about. Um, So there is kind of like a sportsmanship thing that if you're getting overtaken, like you do have to give the other car somewhat of a chance. Another big rule is not holding other people up, especially if you're a bit more of a back of the pack driver. So we see this with the blue flag where a driver has three turns to get out of the way when the race leaders are coming up behind to lap the driver and they just need to entirely get off the racing line and get out of the way. For quali, if a driver is on their out lap or their in lap and the driver behind them is on their flying lap, they also have to get out of the way or risk penalties. So you definitely see this as an issue in quali when people will get super upset if someone impedes their lap. Another flag we see occasionally, most specifically normally to KMAG for whatever reason, <laughs> we love to back to this. <laughs> is the black and orange flag, which tells the driver they need to go back to the pit lane if they have unsafe damage to their car. Usually this is from something like front wing damage where they can keep going, but there's a chance like an end plate or something could fall off. And so there'll be a orange and black flag to make them pit to fix the problem. If the driver is guilty of violating any of what we just talked about, they're reported to the race stewards and then the race stewards will deem whatever penalties are necessary. 
Um, and there's a big range of penalties here. So a common one is a driver just having to give a position back because they went off track and gained a lasting advantage. This can be because they cut a corner, pass someone off track, but it can also happen if they didn't pass someone, if they just managed to hang on to a lead by going off track, as we said, um, and then causing a collision by violating overtaking rules leads to penalties, which is those are often five or 10 second penalties that are served in pit stops and work cannot be done on the car during that time, as we saw with the drama of the Aston Martin <laughs> debacle and rear jack uh, drama last last race. But sometimes the time is just added at the end if they're not stopping And then you can also, as we talked about, get penalty points on your license. And those accumulate over time, and those can eventually lead to a race ban. And the points can really add up even for more minor incidents like impeding in quality. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the track limits as well. But, yeah. And overall, this is when you hear people kind of mention a racing incident. So, not every collision results in a penalty because especially on the first couple laps or after a safety car restart, the stewards and the race directors are much more inclined to kind of let people race with the awareness that sometimes there can just be contact and be collisions and it's not necessarily anyone's fault. So sometimes there can be even a big crash when maybe someone had no way of avoiding the collision because there was an incident in front of them or both people left enough room, but just something went slightly wrong. So sometimes that's also part of the drama. Something is deemed a quote unquote racing incident when people, AKA one of the people that was wronged feels super strongly like there should have been a penalty. Also somewhat relevant here are the track limits rules. We've seen a lot of drama around this, especially during quality. So good moment to give a little bit of a refresher a track limit, that's the white line surrounding the outside of the track. That's there both to define the zone that's fair play and keep things safe for everyone. Track limits will vary from track to track. It's really hard to consistently police because of that. Um, And the rules can even vary by corner and different corners at different circuits. So during practice and quality, any infringement of track limits results in the lap time being deleted as we say with like, we saw that with Logan Sargent last race and with others many times before. And if the track limits are exceeded on the final corner, the next lap may also have to be deleted, which is at the mercy of the steward's judgment. If a driver ended up gaining an advantage heading into that next lap. Um, During the race, there's a little bit more leeway. Drivers receive two warnings on impeding track limits before they get the black and white flag, which warns drivers for unsportsmanlike conduct. If a driver ends up violating it, they get a five-second penalty, and any more than that, they get 10 seconds. So this happened to Nico Hulkenberg at Bahrain last year. And typically, once a driver violates the track limits five times or more during a race, they get a penalty point on their license. We saw this last year at the Austrian GP for Lando, Gasly, Vettel, and Joe. And this is an example of one of those things they're trying to change now because it's kind of ridiculous that you can accumulate so many penalty points for things like track limits. So this won't be as much of an issue going forward, but that was crazy last year. And Max has commented in the past, he thinks there should be a bit more nuance around track limits penalties when a driver isn't obviously gaining an advantage. And he was saying kind of a lot of corners are blind and maybe all four wheels went over, but how much of an advantage is a driver actually gaining by doing that, by going like six inches wide on some corners, they could actually be hurting themselves. So it's, obviously really hard for them to see from the cockpits. They don't necessarily have perfect car placement all the time. 
So hopefully with all of this explaining that we did, it'll be a little bit more interesting to watch races and overtaking once, you know, you understand the rules more. We we're really excited for this weekend. It's definitely going to be a late weekend, late night, early morning for anyone not watching in Australia or watching from at least New York time. We'll be sharing our thoughts throughout the weekend on Discord, obviously, so we can't wait. <laughs>